So people of God in Christ, last time the case was made that the sixth commandment is the one that we most easily check off as done. Uh, This time, as we come to the seventh commandment, here we might uh, find the commandment that we least mark out, mark off as done. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder, might be checked off quickly because we've never literally taken the life of another person. But the question remains, if you remember from last time, uh, are we dedicating our lives as, as Christ did to the benefit of others and not living for ourselves? Uh, how are we doing when it comes to simply being kind to others? Even those who drive us crazy by their irresponsibility and subsequent need for our kindness. That's the positive side of the of the command in the negative, you shall not murder. The command of God, you shall not murder, is also the positive command, you shall be kind. Even when kindness requires grace, mercy, patience, and forgiveness. And for the sake of clarity in the command, so it is that God himself has been gracious, merciful, patient, and forgiving to us in Jesus Christ. But then comes the seventh commandment. And and here we find ourselves, we might say, in a kind of different relationship to the law. Our Lord Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, or you have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is this is an important teaching from our Lord Jesus. Uh, as well as a painful one, because it brings conviction. Uh, I, I want to say, especially for men, but probably for women too, I just don't know, I, I can't have or can't know the exact experience of women when it comes to this teaching of Jesus. But, but the further point, the, the, the main point, is that sin, not just sexual sin, But all sin is first found in the heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And we can run through the the Ten Commandments in, in this respect, that it is sinful to name or worship another god even as we do it in our hearts. It is sinful to think of God wrongly before, long before uh, it's wrong for us to speak of God wrongly. Uh, it is wrong to be a strict Sabbatarian when one has made the Sabbath a cold, hard duty. Oh, oh the suffering uh, uh, so greatly. Um, or maybe... 
offering such a strict obedience that we that we lose the track of resting on the Lord's day instead of delighting in the Lord's day, delighting in the Sabbath. Well, just as much. I've just tried to give you a, a quick review and, and overview of, of the earlier commandments, but just as much, it, it, is, it is wrong if your obedience to the seventh commandment is simply the matter of what you do or don't do. And all of this we learn from the teaching of our Lord that regarding the seventh commandment, regarding sexual sin, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's huge. That's important for us to to hear that sin begins in the heart. Some of you uh, are old enough to remember um, that uh, President Jimmy Carter, um, James Earl Carter, uh, once was asked in an interview, have you ever committed adultery? And he answered, only in my heart. In other words, he had never to that point and we hope never since that point, he had never been physically, sexually with another woman beyond his wife. But he incurred by that answer great consternation, that's the nicest way to put it, from the listening public. Great objection, even in in the late 1970s, because in his belief about sin, he saw that it was a sin even as it was found in his heart. Sin begins in the heart. So, so many people claim, here's the cherry picking of, of our culture, many people claim the teaching of Jesus, judge not that you be not judged. But at the same time, many refuse the teaching of Jesus that sin begins in the heart. The intent is wrong before the act. And this is where we need to start with the seventh of God's Ten Commandments. Once again, again, we need to go back. Uh, We need to go back to the account of creation given to us in God's Word in order to set, set ourselves up, or should I say in order to be set up by God for understanding and obeying the seventh commandment, we need to hear the plan, the, the design of God for human sexuality. Someone might say, uh, wait, uh, doesn't that narrow the issue of sexual sin and obedience to marriage? But that's exactly the case. To understand sexual sin, we first need to understand marriage. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Here, of course, is, uh, is where the devil is, is hard at work. 
in our day and culture, the first step toward the destruction and the relationship between God and mankind is is uh, is simply fornication. The idea that sexual relationships are fine and allowable outside of marriage. The 20th century brought uh, the cultural idea and uh, and the pressure upon us to believe that it doesn't matter if one is married before finding sexual pleasure. But then it brought the many further ideas about that so-called freedom from God's law to men, to women, three persons or more. The rebellion has only escalated since its uh, since its inception, uh, it's one thing uh, when your enemy is a is a sniper on the on the hill picking off victims one at a time. It's quite another when your enemy comes full force, as it has for us, infiltrating your camp and killing you and and your numbers by way of full attack. And that's what we've experienced in our in our day and in our culture. So so here's how we confront and, and combat the attack even at this late date. By first of all recognizing by God's word the plan and the design of God for human sexuality. Once again, we might need to drop back another step uh, to see that God was good in his creation of this world. God didn't create the world to fulfill his own evil desire to cause, control, and enjoy the suffering of mankind. Instead, God created the world certainly for his glory but for his own glory through the good, the pleasure, the true enjoyment of mankind. And by using words like pleasure and enjoyment, surely we can make the connection to human sexuality. Here we find a a great gift from God. And we ought not to miss this. Because there is always the ditch on the other side of the road. The evil one would, would turn us aside either to one side or the other side of the road of truth. And by the road of truth here, I do not mean some esoteric knowledge by which a person might become enlightened beyond others. We need to see that this truth, this this teaching of God's word is, is couched in reality. Can we not see that the sexual revolution of, uh, of the 20th century, as it's called, within our culture has, has changed the world that we live in? But the world we live in is, is not the measure of reality. There is yet reality itself. And God's word should give us to understand reality. Because God created all that is in the beginning. And 
he even gives us an explanation of it in his word. So first God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But then we get the, the, the closer focus. We get a, a dialed-in account of, of the creation of man. In Genesis 2, we hear that Adam needed a partner, a companion. He needed a mate. And the, and the thing to note is that there's no description in the account of creation of male and female until it comes to mankind. That's important. We aren't told that God created male llamas and female llamas. But we are told that God created a male human being and a female human being. Why is that? Well, it's implied, but we can understand that he did so when it came to man specifically creating them male and female because this was important to his image within man. But then, as I said, here is, here is the focus in. Here is the further detail and emphasis that woman was even created out of man. And that as woman was brought to the man, he found in her his partner, his companion, the one created specifically by God for him. And thus was established a reality. A reality designed by God for good, pleasurable, enjoyable human sexuality. We have the start here that human sexuality is a great gift from God. Otherwise, we run into the ditch on one side of the road, separating sexual activity and expression from marriage. Or we run into the ditch on the other side of the road, missing the goodness, the, the pleasure, the enjoyment of sexuality within marriage. But then the next step of knowledge and, and understanding is, is by seeing that there is further purpose in, in marital sexuality. And that is, uh, brings us to this next point, the great sign that it gives. So we go from the great gift to the great sign. Remember that uh, man is made in the image of God. If we accept that God is good, that he is finally the essence of goodness, then it shouldn't be hard for us to understand that what he creates is the image of his goodness. It's been pointed out here before that a, a right understanding of sin is to see that, that we have received the image of God only to use the image of God to detract from and mar the image of God. That's really what sin is. To use what God has given against him. 
to use the image of God in order to detract from the image of God. And that's what happens with sexual sin. Human sexuality might be understood as a kind of second layer, a second level of the image of God. We first want to affirm our single members, our single persons. There, there's nothing wrong with, and according to 1 Corinthians 7, there's everything right about, uh, about being single. To put it another way, you don't have to be married, married to bear the image of God. Every person, every man, every woman, every child, every human being bears the image of God. That was the point, was it not, last time. But the further imaging of God, we might say, is certainly found in marriage. Think of it. Our sexuality is how we image God. That's, that seems to sound sacrilegious, maybe, even blasphemous. But why? Well, because human sexuality has been so misunderstood that we have lost sight of its goodness, of its God-likeness, even. The analogies are imperfect, but maybe think about medicine and guns. We could say drugs are misused and abused in our culture, therefore we will ban all use of medicine. But where would that leave us? So you, you can't have your ibuprofen because people abuse drugs. And because criminals misuse guns, do we then just roll over and let them shoot us and kill us? In the same way, sexuality is a good thing. It comes to us from a good God by way of a good creation for the sake of great pleasure and enjoyment. But it also comes by God's good purpose, and that purpose is to image him, his own pleasure, his own enjoyment, in being one with his people. Again, does that sound wrong? Does that sound maybe even blasphemous to compare and connect sexual pleasure with God? But that's exactly what we find in Scripture, in God's Word. God is a husband to his people through the Old Testament. Oh, but that has nothing to do with God being sexually intimate with his people, really? How so? Is that not the obvious reading of Scripture? And, and Christ as, as God, as bridegroom, as husband to his people. Oh, but that has nothing to do with Christ being sexually intimate with his people. Really? Is, is that not the very point? Oh, but, but sex is evil. How can we speak of God and sex in the, in the same sentence? We speak of a holy God and sex in the same sentence, when we understand God's good creation, when we understand that the relationship between God and his people is imaged 
in the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. Marriage, including the the specifically including specifically the sexuality of marriage is a great sign. It's a sign designed and established by God. We we don't see that marriage itself is a sacrament. You might notice that I'm I'm using the same language that we use in the sacraments. The water of baptism is a sign uh, of of the blood of Christ that cleanses by by dying and rising with Christ. The the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper are signs of the body and the and the blood of Christ in his atoning sacrifice at the cross. But while we don't see marriage as a sacrament, yet marriage must be understood as a sign, a sign of the of the relationship between God and his people, between Christ and his bride. And in order for the sign to to be complete, we must find that sexuality in marriage is is the image of our relationship with God and with God through Christ. He is our husband. That's always awkward to say, right? For especially for men, we think of uh, Christ as our husband. But if we think of ourselves as members of the church, then we ought to have no trouble thinking of Christ as our husband. To understand that when a man comes together with his wife, they together are imaging the blessed and even eternal relationship of Christ with his church. This is what makes sexual sin a great sin. And that's the next point. When we set up God and his pleasure, his purpose, his blessing to us, only then do we recognize the great sin of adultery. In Psalm 16, King David writes, I have set the Lord always before me. That's what we need to do in order to honor God and show gratitude in our obedience to the seventh commandment. We need to set the Lord always before us. And here is where the seventh commandment is similar to the sixth. The full will of God in the sixth commandment is that we not murder, but also show kindness. The full will of God in the seventh commandment is that we not commit adultery, but that we regulate our sexuality, whether single or married, according to God's will. Once again, his will is good. Sex is a good thing between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, a lifelong commitment to each other. So technically, you... If you've ever thought about it, but technically you cannot commit adultery unless you're married. Either you or the person you're with. That's the definition of adultery. But just as you shall not murder means that you shall act with kindness toward your neighbor, so you shall not commit adultery means you shall use your sexuality uh, 
only for what it's intended. It's God intended purpose. So we come then to see what a great sin it is when we sin sexually. But then comes the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. All of us are guilty before God, certainly in, with regard to the seventh commandment, especially when we understand that sin begins in the heart. Sin is found in the mind and in the heart long before it's ever found in our actions. But there is a great salvation as well. Because what we hear in Scripture is that even as God is a husband to his people in the Old Testament, so Christ, as God, is a husband to his wife, the church, in the New Testament. And so we can and we must look to Christ, look to him as our husband, look to him as our Redeemer, look to him as our Savior, and long for that great last day in which he will come to gather his people, as we heard in the call to worship, as he will come to take his bride as his own. Not because she's perfect, not because She's without sin. Not even regardless of the single sin within her, yet he will take her he will gather us. He will save us. And he will do so because he is our husband. He will do so because he has already, of course, provided for us. And in the end, we will experience a great honeymoon, you might say. Is that scandalous to say? No, that's scripture. Scripture sets up for us marriage as a picture of Christ and his church. And so every bit of, 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 of joy, every, you know, every bit of pleasure, every bit of, of, of enjoyment within marriage is, is but an ounce, but a, but a small representation of that great picture that's given us in Revelation chapter 20, when Christ will gather us as his people, his bride, and we will once and for all be with our Lord, be with our husband, be with our Savior, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's left for us in the meantime? 
to honor marriage, to use our sexuality in that way that God has ordained and, and instructed. And that's not easy because it's a powerful force within us. But the reason it's a powerful force within us is because God has ordained it to be a powerful sign for us to see his relationship to us, Christ's relationship to his church within this fallen world. May God give us wisdom as we live in a day that is just filled with sexual temptation. May God give us strength to, uh, to keep first things first, we might say. To understand the good purpose of God in sexuality. And by way of understanding God's goodness and the goodness of marriage, then the evil and the sin of misusing something that God has given us and therefore causing not only ourselves harm, but causing harm uh, to others around us uh, as well. We need wisdom. And, uh, And that wisdom comes to us from God's word. It comes to us from Genesis on to Revelation that we would understand what this is all about. What, what, what is it all about? What is its purpose? Why is it happening? And to see that indeed something great is happening here. It's a great gift. It's a great sign. And that makes it a great sin. But also that indeed we have a great salvation through Jesus Christ, our husband, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we can be so easily confused and we can find such great pleasure in this life in such a Uh, such a wrong and destructive way. And we can't even see it. We can't even see the harm that is happening. Except that you would open our eyes and help us to see that this is all a picture. By your own design, it's 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 an image of your relationship to us as our God and as our Savior through Jesus Christ. So help us to understand marriage, and uh, sexuality, and all things in light of your word. And grant us the strength, O Lord, to forego sinful pleasure in order to experience, to a lesser degree, I'm sure, in this exact moment, but to experience the greater pleasure of, uh, of being with Christ in heaven, he as our husband, we as his wife, his bride, and even 
for all eternity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.